Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. And for the last year and a half, I've worked diligently on starting a new business all around helping women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Nora Raj Brown, to our show today. Nora is the EVP of brand at Goop.com. Goop was founded by Gwyneth Paltrow in 2008 and started just as a weekly newsletter she would send out to her friends. Fast forward to today, Goop has grown steadily into a multinational powerhouse that's valued over $250 million and is a web destination for advice, guides, and features about beauty, style, and wellness. Outside of their website, they also have a podcast, a docuseries on Netflix, brick and mortar locations, and also reach millions of followers daily on their social platforms. Nora has been one of the key women behind this booming modern lifestyle brand and was one of their earliest employees. Although heading up Goop's brand seems fabulous, Nora had a fair share of her own career pivots until she landed in this role, which by the way, she thought she was not qualified for, which we'll talk more about today. We'll chat with Nora about all things from jumpstarting your career when you have no idea what the right next step is and you feel lost, to dealing with insecurities that might be holding you back from pursuing your goals and dreams. We also get Nora's top tips when it comes to brand building. And of course, we talk all things wellness and so much more. Welcome to the show, Nora. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm super pumped for this conversation. Before we even recorded, we were chatting about all things life, wellness. So I know this will be a really fun one. But one thing that I would love to chat more about doing more research about you is you didn't really follow a linear career path. You always try different things. And I think, you know, there's a lot of women who are listening who might feel lost or they're trying different things and don't really know where that might be leading them to. But I'd love to just kind of get your advice on what would you tell someone who might be in that phase? Sure. I mean, I've had plenty of moments where I was like, what am I doing? Why am I here? There was like moments when I was like, should I go back to law school? Should I go sell face masks at the Union Square Green Market? Like I was I had a lot of different sort of paths. But I would say that I think not having a linear path and not being so focused consistently on hitting certain benchmarks, which I've certainly had that as well. But the more I take myself away from that, and the more I really focus on the work, And by the work, I mean like work that excites you and engages you and is really opening you up both personally and professionally. I found that really wonderful things just come from that. So if you're engaged in what you're doing, and that might be, look, like you might be in a job that's not your favorite and it's not going to like give you that passion every single day, but you can find it somewhere else, right? So I think it's just as long as you're investing in those parts, usually good things happen from there. And, you know, there's been like, numerous times where there was something that I really loved doing even at work that wasn't really in my breath. And then it would turn into something even more exciting. And especially if you're somewhere at a startup, like people are excited by your own passion and your willingness to do things. And they usually will reward you in that. Even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment, I think things always come back around. 
Yeah. And to your point, even being passionate about something, whether it's doing something outside of your main job role, I mean, you're learning so much. So you can take that skill set and whether they promote you to that group or you leave and start your own thing. I mean, I think it's just knowledge is power. And the more you can kind of lean into your interests, like you said, it will only benefit. And I can't wait to jump into your story because you've had so many unique instances. And now at Goop, you're kind of using all your experiences in one place. And I'm sure you never would have imagined that. So I kind of love that story, but I'd love to start from the beginning. You're a daughter of immigrants. You grew up in Silicon Valley and you were always interested in the creative side of things. You know, as a daughter of immigrants myself, I know that's not always celebrated. My father's like, you got to study finance, go to business school, do all that. So what was your upbringing like? And did you feel a sense of expectation to go down a certain path? Yeah. I mean, I think my mom is still hoping that I go to Stanford Med School at the (laughs) right age of 37. But look, I think one of the things I've thought a lot about with having now like a newborn daughter is really giving her access to Mm. role models who are immigrants, who are in a multitude of different fields. And obviously it's so different now than when it was when I was growing up. I mean, I remember you turn on the television and if there was an Indian actor at all, it was like a cab driver. You know, and now it's like you have like real female driven projects from these incredible Indian women and and you have Indian artists and you have like just more access to all of those things. But no, I definitely grew up in a my father went to IIT, which is a um, like well-known technical school in India. So pretty much all of his friends, they all lived in the Bay Area. They'd all moved there for the tech scene and they were all in one industry. And then my mother worked at Stanford. So, you know, it was like very much medicine and tech. And I wasn't interested in either. Like I really loved fashion. I spent a long time hearing from my parents who are like wonderful and were very encouraging, but in their minds, like fashion just wasn't a thing that you went into. Right. And now we look at it and fashion is, I mean, I wish I'd realized like how big of an industry it was and how many different career paths you could have in there. But it took a lot of convincing, I think, for for my parents to actually understand what it is I do now. I mean, I majored in writing and Italian. So like, as it goes for practical majors, I think I picked the two outlandish ones you could possibly imagine. So yeah, I definitely felt that. I mean, I think for until I probably went to New York after college, it still felt very insular in terms of the kind of jobs you were supposed to have. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because obviously the time that we're in, like you said, there's so many more examples and there's podcasts like this that showcase so many different backgrounds that people have access to. But you've talked about how you didn't have much of that, right? Like you didn't know what was possible. You studied writing and Italian literature. So at what point did you realize like, wow, there's so much more in this world and potential for me? Was it when you moved to New York or in college? Yeah. I mean, so I spent, I mean, the thing that was incredible, I think about my upbringing is because my parents were immigrants and, you know, I had a lot of friends who were like always going to the same places like Hawaii and Aspen. And at the time I was like, I want to go to Hawaii, but we were always going to India. We were always going to Europe and like meeting family halfway. And they were just like very much about the adventure. I mean, even now my dad's like doing Everest base camp. Really? Impressive. It's so impressive. And by the way, talk about the apple falling far from the tree. Like I have no interest in going on like a <laughs> track or, or whatever it is. So it basically, I think it was a lot of it was just having access to different cultures growing up. And then I tried to spend almost every summer in New York when I was in college, because obviously at that time, the media landscape was really there. And I, I really wanted to work at a magazine. And that was sort of my whole goal when I was in college. And I think then I started to really understand too, how much thought goes into all of these different 
areas and really seeing the validity in going into areas like fashion or more creative or even production, things like that, which was something that I think, you know, before it felt like it was something that I loved, but it didn't Mm -hmm. necessarily feel like it could be a real career path. Yeah. And if I did my research correctly, I believe when you graduated, you moved to New York with zero job and you were like straight up hustling. I think you were like getting internships or trying to get different jobs. So what was that period of your life like? Because if just kind of landing with no job, I'm sure that especially in a very expensive city, I'm sure that wasn't easy. Yeah. I mean, I felt like I was in a sitcom. I lived above a bar (laughs) on the Lower East Side with my best friend from college. And it was actually called Lucky Jacks. I think it's still there. But I worked at a magazine called Details in the, like, literally in the fashion closet. It's now sadly defunct, which, you know, says a lot about the media landscape or my career. I don't know which one. But but I worked in the fashion closet and it was very much like a typical fashion closet job. Like, I didn't leave the closet. I, like, barely, even when I went, had to go to the bathroom, I would, like, wait because someone had to pick up the phone. Like, it was very much that kind of world. But at the same time, I think it also really instilled in me the, idea that you need to know every single designer Mm -hmm. and you need to understand what their thesis is and understand how those things are different, which seems again, like at the time it sort of seemed frivolous. Oh, you're just sitting in a closet all day. But I really used that opportunity to actually look at the clothes, you know, which was like very fun for me. Like you felt like you were like in the most beautiful department store and all of these incredible exclusives would come that you would get to shoot. And, and then the more you educate yourself. Like then I would be on a shoot and someone would be like, get me the black Dior sweater. And it would take me two seconds to find it versus if you're someone who's kind of been like on their phone the whole time in the closet. So again, I think those little, like for those people who do feel lost. And like I said, I've definitely been there. I think some of those menial tasks can actually be really fun and can really help you down the line. If you look at it in the right way, not all of them, some of them are terrible, but some of them are, are actually very educational. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. 
but I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now, anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the show. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because there's nothing better than like living in your early twenties in New York, the way you were saying it felt like you were in a sitcom. But one thing you mentioned is that at that time, although you were having so much fun and learning, you were riddled in so much self-doubt and comparison. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you just to kind of talk about younger Nora and how you really were dealing with that phase in your life. Well, I think especially... So coming to the city without having any real connections in that world, as I mentioned, everyone I knew was more in like tech or they were in medicine or academia. Like it was a very different, it's not like I I came in and had like 10 people at magazines to call, you know? And so a lot of it was really like finding your path, feeling really lost for a long time. And I think I also had this idea that I would come to New York and I would start interviewing and I'd get a job and that would sort of be it. And I didn't realize how insanely competitive it was, especially at that time to get an assistant job at a fashion magazine. And I think probably a year or two after I moved to New York, Devil Wears Prada came out, which made it like even more hard to get a a job in that world. But again, I think like sometimes those stumbles and those shifts in your path actually really help. Because of that, I ended up getting a job in PR. And as a result, and I really got to see how like the other side of magazines get made, you know? When you say the other side, like what aspect of that were you kind of like learning in this new role? Yeah. So I was always really interested in like the writing side of it, the editorial content. But there's this whole other side. So I worked in talent PR, which basically means that you represent the celebrities who are then, you know, you're pitching these editors or they're pitching you and you have to organize the photo shoots and figure out the angles for the stories and things like that. And so when it comes to like actually creating the photo shoot, there's so much thought in it and there's so much to know and so much coordination in terms of like how that one image actually gets made. And so that was incredibly useful for me, but it was also funny because so I did, I was an assistant, right? So a lot of what I did was really like the grunt coordination, the scheduling, like all of that stuff. And then years later, and then I sort of went and and did a bunch of different things. But years later, when I started at Goop, I was then thrown right back into that because all of a sudden I was now doing celebrity PR again. And I hadn't done it for probably, I was a bit tangentially involved, but I hadn't done it for probably like 10 years. 
and all of those like really menial skills that I remember from making schedules back in the day were so helpful. You remembered all all of that? (laughs) I mean, I think just having that landscape of understanding, oh, this is sort of like how it works. It made the job when I started Goop, giving it such an easy transition. For sure. And I want to go back a little bit. And you mentioned you had a few different jobs before Goop. And I appreciate you because you're always putting yourself in new situations and new opportunities and learning like you were mentioning. How did the opportunity of Goop come across? And what were you looking for in your career at the time? Yeah. So I was working at a place called Time Inc., which is also now defunct. I told you this (laughs) this might be a trend, but Time Inc. Hopefully not. With Goop. We had Time Magazine. So I've been brought on to work at InStyle. And InStyle was, you know, at that time was, I think, the second or third largest fashion magazine. And then the way that Time Inc. was working, the way the media landscape was working was that you basically would get hired to work on one publication, then they'd give you like eight more. And so by the end of it, I was working on all of the style and, and fashion publications, which was really fun. But at the same time, you know, the writing was a little bit on the wall in terms of how the media landscape was going, how the fight for ad dollars was going. You know, I think when you're in a creative field, you want the flexibility and the freedom to like really be creative, right? And we would come into work every day and we'd basically be like, is this company sold or not? And eventually it did get, it got sold to Meredith. And so there was a feeling of like, you couldn't, when there's fear, and I've learned this a lot mm. even later, like when you're, you're operating from a place of fear, you're not able to be your best self, right? And you're not able to produce your best work. And so at that point, I just really wanted to go somewhere where I felt like creativity was the most valued. And it was not, you know, the fault of anyone, but unfortunately we are at a company that's like fighting off a, a takeover, right? that becomes less important. Like just creating creative, beautiful work is obviously they had they had bigger fish to fry. And I also really wanted to build something, you know? Like I was at this big company with really big brands and I actually randomly had two women. So one who I'd worked with at InStyle and one I'd worked with at a marketing agency prior to that who had both gone to Goop and they were like two of the first 10 employees after Gwyneth moved the company to Los Angeles. Incredible. And I think right before this opportunity of Goop came about with your friends, like you were hardcore interviewing somewhere else for like months, right? And it didn't work out. I'd love for you just to kind of talk about that because sometimes you are so sad if something doesn't work out, but it clearly did for you. You really done your research. Um, <laughs> yes. Actually, I remember I was on a safari with my parents and I had gotten like an email. I'd been interviewing for probably like nine, 10 months at this point. And it was at this like very storied luxury brand. And I was so excited. And it it involved a lot of trips to Paris and, you know, all of those things. And I was on the safari and they emailed me and they were like, okay, what are your salary requirements? Like you're going to get an offer. And I was so like trying to find Wi-Fi on the, like literally on (laughs) the balloon. It was again, out of a movie. And then a couple of weeks later, I was like still waiting for this offer. And they basically were like, we restructured everything we've let go of the person that you were supposed to report to. Like, you know, it is what it is. We'll let you know if this job ever comes back. And it was actually so funny. The day that I started at Goop, I got an email from that same recruiter saying that it wasn't the same job, but there was another job open that they wanted me to come in for. And it's so funny how that works, right? It's like the second that you're like, and this is true in relationships, it's true in work, but it's like the second you're happy, yeah, it's like the world knows and, and things just kind of come and fall in your lap. Oh my gosh, totally. I mean, I can't imagine the whole interview process is such a grind too. And to be doing it for that long and not working out, I'm sure wasn't easy. And, you know, I'm curious at the time, you know, Goop was quite small. You mentioned, you know, your two friends that brought it up. There were 
two out of 10 employees. So how is that opportunity? You know, you came in in a completely new role that was much bigger than I think you've said this in other interview that you felt qualified for. So tell me more about that role and how you decided to jump into it. Because I feel like so many women, if they don't check all the boxes, they don't go for it. So I feel like this is such an important conversation to have. Well, I think in that case, like ignorance is really bliss, right? Like I did not realize how big of a role I was jumping into. And I had no idea of like the things that we would have to struggle with as a company. Because basically when I started, this was 2016. And it was funny. It was like I left Time Inc. And, and everyone at Time Inc. was sort of like, oh, you're you're like going to work at Gwyneth Paltrow's blog. You know, like they didn't at that time it was like a very like I mean, there was a a much bigger organization than people realized, but it still felt very homespun. And then I got there and I I realized that, you know, with because they've never had a communications person in-house, there was so much debt. There was like so much work that had just not been done to no one's fault. But it's like that's what happens when you're at a startup, you know, and your um, resources are really limited. Now we have like this huge infrastructure built up. At the time there was no HR and there was no legal. Everything was outsourced. And so as a result, I sort of felt like I was like this first line of defense for anything negative that happened to the business. And I had no idea how to handle it. And I will say like, it was a real testament to Gwyneth because she, every time I would go to her and like really feel out of my element, she would be like, you can figure this out. And it was terrifying because she would put trust in me when like I honestly wasn't qualified. Like she probably shouldn't have, you know, looking back. (laughs) But she really was just, she was like, I know that you can figure this out and I'm going to leave this up to you and you're the expert here. And in turn, I really try to do that with my team too. Even when like, sometimes I don't know if they'll figure it out. I think we all just need to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt a little bit. Yeah. And this was a question I was going to ask in a little bit, but just on the topic of Gwyneth, I know she's super hands-on even today in the business. You know, what would you say were, or are one or two learnings that you've kind of had working alongside her and being in her orbit outside of what you had just mentioned in terms of like figuring things out and jumping into stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think what I said earlier about not operating from a place of fear is really Mm. important. So much of what we do at Goop is to push conversations into the mainstream and to talk about things that frankly, people don't always want to talk about. And these are hard conversations, right? And especially a lot of things require a lot of work on yourself and a lot of hard examination of yourself, which is not necessarily, it's not like light beach fare. But I think that if you're really going to, you know, as we say, you really want to milk the shit out of life, you need to do that. And so I think also, like, as I said, you know, operating from a place of real pride, but also real bravery Mm. is super important. I mean, there's so many things that we have talked about that have gotten crazy backlash. But when you look at them five, 10 years later, they're actually incredibly important and they've become integral to the culture. I mean, like consciously uncoupling is a great example. We got so much like half broke the internet when it came out. Everyone was like, this is so pretentious. But when you actually think about it, like why not try to figure out a way to do less damage to your children if you're divorcing? Like why, why is that a controversial topic? You know, like that should be something that every parent is thinking about. But it took a while for us to get on that bandwagon. So I think I, I've learned to like not be afraid of initial backlash. 
And it's true. I mean, group, you guys have really been very early in so many different things. And like you said, even from those early days, it was challenging because I'm sure you were dealing with backlash even back then. But yeah. how do you manage that? You know, now the business is much larger. You guys are making an impact in so many different avenues. How are you dealing with this backlash? And what have you learned? Because as someone who's building a business that is kind of also very different, you know, I hear it at a smaller scale. So I'm just curious how you're managing that and some of the learnings you have there. Yeah, I mean, look, I, luckily, it's it's a lot less than it used to be, uh, because I think we did a lot of proactive things. And we really did look at the business and say, okay, we're growing up, like, what do we need to bring on? What do we need to invest in? So we now have a full science and research team. Mm, we have this great. thing that we call the Goop Lab, you know, they're like deep in the product development, they're deep in looking at all of our wellness articles, we're very transparent about when something is emerging, and when the science and when there isn't double blind studies, you know, And so I think a lot of it is taking the time, if you're a small business owner, taking the time to really examine what needs work and what needs investment and what doesn't, because there's certainly, you can't do everything, right? Like you have to push some things off. So I think that was like the main thing was really taking the time to not be defensive, to like not say, why is this happening to us? But to really look at it and say, well, what can we do to make this better? And like, how can we get ahead of things? How can we really like go to the core of who we are and build a business that we're all excited and proud of in every aspect? And I think I think we've really done that. You have. And it's really admiring just to see like the main mission and the values of the business is just so key in everything you guys are doing. Like you guys are very confident in the steps you guys take and you're, you don't really let that backlash kind of deter you into a different way. And it's still goop, although it's much bigger now and you guys are doing many things. It still has the same ethos as when it was just the blog and you were the 11th or 12th employee, which is really admirable. So I think that's awesome to see. And one question I have for you as someone who's also managing the brand at Goop, and I know brand, there's so many layers behind what that even means and what that is. But I love to just kind of get your tips on what are great ways that you can share with our audience who are building businesses that you might recommend to building like a very authentic and amazing brand? Well, I mean, authenticity is a tough one, right? Because it's there or it's not. But I think anything that goes, I mean, even when we were talking about your business and it's coming from such a personal place, and you're making it for you, right? Like you're making it for you and your friends and what you're hearing every day from people. And I think that really comes through. But yeah, when you're in a mission-driven business, like a lot of what we do is really look around and say like, what's missing in the world? So we have a Netflix show. We've had two different shows and they're both have kind of talked about sex and love. But the first one, we did this episode that again was incredibly controversial for sort of no reason, you know? <laughs> but we basically showed a bunch of... Yeah, we showed a bunch of vulvas on screen and everyone freaked out. And we realized that that was a conversation that really needed to be had. And we needed to, like, once we saw that reaction to it, we were like, okay, this needs to be pushed out in the open and we are going to get backlash for doing it. But that's part of what we feel like is right in the world. And it's, it's amazing. Since then, we've done a ton of content about it. We've launched some products. We've really tried to normalize sexual wellness. And I think it was like about six months ago, there was a story in the New York Times about how Bloomingdale's was now carrying vibrators. And the buyer, yeah, and the buyer of Bloomingdale's even said, you know, I credit this to Goop for leading the way, making it okay for us to carry this. And that was one of my like most proud moments because we really got to see firsthand like how this is now becoming part of the lexicon. 
Yes, absolutely. And it's cool to see just how you guys are shifting different industries and making things more normal, which is awesome. And, you know, one question I have for you, looking at the role you're in now, you know, managing both brand and communications now under your belt, what would you say is the greatest challenge that you're having and also the greatest reward that you're feeling? Oh, I mean, the greatest challenge is always time. (laughs) I think really understanding how to, and I'm not great at this, I will totally admit, but really understanding how to prioritize. There's so many fun things you can do, right? Like there's, especially with a brand like Goop, which is so diversified. So we're in home, we're in fashion, we're in sexual wellness, we're in health. Like there's so many avenues you can go down. So for me, it's really been about like looking at our data, using that to sort of gut check my intuition and using the both of those to really figure out what does our audience want and need? You know, a couple of years ago, we did this great story on something we were talking about recently on postnatal depletion. And that story went completely viral. And we looked at that and we were like, oh my goodness, women need a solution here. And so we partnered with some doctors and, and some incredible vendors and created a postnatal depletion pill for women to take. So there's so much out there that I think we can tackle. It's really about like, what's going to help our audience the most? Like, how do we really be of service? Yeah. I mean, you guys are doing so much, so I'm sure prioritizing is tough, but kind of like leaning into the data and seeing what resonates, what guides you into what you're doing. And what would you say would be the greatest reward you have or the most rewarding experience you have in this position? I think to that point, like the data is incredibly valuable, but it only takes you so far. You know, like just talking to you, like there might not be a ton of data on the hormonal change from birth control, but like we all can feel it, right? Like we all know that we can tell when something's wrong with our bodies and we can tell when the typical solutions that people are giving us aren't helping or they're not helping enough. And I mean, I'm a full, obviously my, my mom worked at Stanford. Like I love modern medicine, but I think that it's just one part of the puzzle. And so the biggest reward So I think it's really when we hear from people and we hear this every day that something they read on Goop changed their lives, you know, and that could be something like what we talked about with postnatal depletion and, and people feeling like, oh, this is totally normal and it's okay for me to feel this way. And that's a big part of, I think, why we do what we do. Getting those emails and really feeling like the impact you're making is huge. And to your point, it wasn't until I kind of did the seed cycling protocol. I was like, wow, something's here. And then once we got like our first hundred customers and I saw the impact, I was like, I can have all the naysayers. I see it happening. And I think I was talking to an MD and she's like, listen, what's the right way? End of one. Like if you have the experience, that's all that matters. And you see that in other women. That is huge to your point of like the data not always being there. And, you know, hopefully we're going to do a clinical study around it and bring more data behind it. But just to your point, it's like, it's, I'm sure for you, just very rewarding to come up with these new ideas and this new content that is different. And you just see the impact it's making in people's lives when Western medicine might not have been supporting them in that way. So it's cool to see the impact. And, you know, I want to talk about your mom a little bit because I know she's working at Stanford and wants you to go to med school even to this day, but I know she's kind of like a guru in herself in the world of health and wellness. Like, tell me more about that. And do you think that somehow got you into the world of health and wellness? Oh my God. Totally. I mean, I always joke. I'm like, people are like, oh, like, how'd you end up at Goop? I'm like, trust me, Goop is like the most normal place that like <laughs> I could probably end up working. Yeah. I mean, I grew up, I don't know how you were, but I grew up with like, Ayurvedic was just sort of part of that. My mom now only eats Ayurvedically. She left Stanford actually when I was in high school to go be a full-time like yoga therapist and oh, cool. teacher um, and does a lot of research in that space. And 
from an early age, she was constantly giving me turmeric and was like making her own face masks and all of those things that at the time I totally did not appreciate. And I was like, I want the Chanel mask, you know? But I mean, I realized I saw that it worked, you know? And I saw that both of those sides could coexist because again, she did work at Stanford, but she was supplementing everything she did with not just products, but with also like, as we talked about, food that really nourishes you. And, you know, like she would like focus on things like, great sleep even when I was in high school and probably didn't even need it. So I think like having those different references, like the things that we talked about on Goop, like didn't actually seem that weird to me when I started because I was like, oh, I grew up with all of this. Like my mom does way weirder stuff at home, you know? (laughs) I know. I love that. And I'm curious, you know, did your mom get any backlash? Like working in Stanford and the other side of her being more Ayurvedic and caring more about the wellness rituals, like did she have people thinking she's a little different or odd? I mean, honestly, that's a great question. Not that I know of, but again, I think that things are always in a slightly different context when it's attached to celebrity. And for her, you know, like I said, these two things can coexist easily. Yeah. And so I don't think, I mean, even if you look at, there's a number of very established places in the world, like I think Mayo Clinic does it, where Reiki is part of like people actually say, okay, this really helps. Like you have people on staff who are doing it. So again, like I don't, I think when you look at it as a whole, that side of it actually doesn't feel so wacky or weird, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. And it's funny because anything I thought was crazy or wacky, once I've experienced it, I'm like, okay, this stuff works. Like do Reiki, do everything to me. I'm all about it. But yeah, once you kind of see the potential in these like different mediums, it's pretty amazing. So it's it's cool to see. I would say not everything works for everyone, right? That's true for medicine too. Like it's a constant, I mean, we've seen, look, like we've all been in the middle of it for the last three years where things are evolving we don't have all the answers yet. And I think that's always important to remember. Yeah, no, it's so true. And one thing we're chatting a bit about before the interview is the topic of balance, burnout. I'm sure you're working quite a bit in your role. It's still like Goop is still a a high growth startup. And you know, you just had a baby girl 10 months ago. But are there any rituals or practices that you kind of incorporate in your life that keep you centered or anything you wish maybe even did more of? Yeah. I mean, I really try to take that six to eight time period and just be with my daughter. I feel like all day long, I'm running around like a little bit of a chicken with its head cut off (laughs) between work and just like the 9 million things that we all end up taking on, right? But yeah, so I really, that, that six to eight period has been so valuable for me, just like really taking the time out to be present with her. And I think also just like for me, actually having kids really changed the way that I was looking at my life in that I was so focused for so long on like, I've got, I have to hit this benchmark and I have to be here at this place. And, and even though I definitely had like a lot of those lost moments, I put so much pressure on myself to solve those things quickly. And then when I had her, I realized like, I was like, oh, there's like actually some benefit to slowing down a little bit mm. and to like not rushing through life so much. And so it's, you know, it's a work in progress. But that's one of the things I've just like really tried to do is when I'm at work, I'm at work and I'm fully there. And when I'm not, I like really try to take at least a couple hours and just like not check my phone, not engage with other things. It's hard. Sometimes I'm better at it than other days, you know? Yeah, totally. And I'm curious. And this is something I think a lot about, right? Is I'm also very focused on like getting the business to a certain point and doing this podcast and doing a million things that I'm interested in and having a kid. I'm always wondering like, how do I 
manage all of that or like, what is it going to teach me? And I think what you said in terms of like slowing down and being present, I don't meditate, but I can imagine just like that baby, just giving you perspective and just keeping you very centered. But I'm curious, you said you slowing down, you never thought there'd be benefits. Like what are some of the things that you're seeing just kind of having her in your life and it it really allowing you to slow down a, a little bit? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll actually give you a separate example. So basically prior to COVID, I was on a plane like probably every other week. My husband, we moved to LA for my job at Goop, but my husband started his own business about four years ago. And it was like in very nation stages when we moved, but then it started to take off. So he was going back to New York Monday through Friday and he would fly home Friday night. So we had this like very intense life. And I feel like we were always tired. Um, And we we barely didn't get like we got not a lot of time together. It was very tough. And we were trying to have a kid. And I went through IVF and I did all of these things and none of it really worked. And then COVID happened and we were sort of forced to be at home in LA for the first time ever. It was mind boggling at first. And I'm not saying this is, you know, exactly why, but I do think that idea of slowing down was really crucial because I ended up getting pregnant naturally. Amazing. Which was such a surprise. And honestly, our doctors were like, are you sure? (laughs) This is like a true miracle. And again, I don't know if that's why, but I do think like this idea of not being in this constant state of motion and being so stressed out all the time. I mean, obviously stress and and health have, you know, there's a lot of linkage there. But I think just like taking that time to like not feel like you always had to be doing something was a huge step for me. And and, I mean, it worked out, you know, in a lot of ways. Yes, yeah. I love to hear that. I mean, it sounds so simple, but now just kind of being in the world of hormones and just reading about it and talking to women, I mean, stress, it impacts your hormones like crazy. Just your yeah. body being in fight or flight. I mean, it shuts off different things. I mean, even me going through my own hormone panels and why I kind of fell into this world is because I also was living a life of flying a lot, investment banking, not sleeping. And I thought I was fine. I was like, oh, I eat salads and I eat well, like I'm good until I realized like, oh shit, my hormones are completely messed up because of that period of my life. And, you know, we talked about this, but also being on birth control didn't help, but it just, you might not think like, that's why it's so important to have the mind body connection, which again, sounds woo woo, but it's important. It's like, you might not think your body is in stress mode, but slowing down, it makes you realize that. And that truly impacts your hormones. And ultimately your fertility, I think. So just to kind of see your example of slowing down and being home and your body really being in that more restful state versus fight or flight. I mean, I think that's just an incredible story and you know, beautiful to see that you're able to conceive naturally. But that's such an important reminder. I just always want to share with women's like stress management, you know, anything you can do to kind of manage that is like going to save you in so many ways. So totally. I mean, it's so and even like, we'll probably have to do IVF for the next one. But I'm like, very cognizant of the fact that I need to be very um, intentional about the way that I treat my body and, and what I like get to me. And I'm curious, I mean, I'm sure you have tried probably so many rituals and products, like what are your go-tos right now? Like, what do you truly love that makes you feel, whether it's at peace or you just love incorporating in your day-to-day? So I have this sauna blanket that I am obsessed with. It's totally ridiculous looking. I don't know if you've seen it. The one I have is by Higher Dose, but it's like a full, like I put it on my bed almost every night and you just lay in it and you like sweat for 45 minutes. I mean, it was so funny. When I was pregnant, that was like the one thing I missed the most. Like everyone was like, do you miss wine? <laughs> I miss my sauna blanket. But I love it. It's a weird ritual, but it's like, I feel so detoxed and cleansed after. 
I used to get, I haven't done it in a while, but I used to get a lot of massages. That's actually something that my mom instilled in me is that, you know, she thought so much was frivolous, but she did not think massage was frivolous. She was like, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she gets one like once a week religiously. And so I think that's a, again, like a big, if you, obviously that's a luxury, you know, to be able to go and do that. But I found like this wonderful woman who was not fancy at all, who would do these like incredible lymphatic massages, which really and then on the beauty product side, I'm also like a little bit of a, a beauty junkie and we have to send you some good products. So I do a lot of just like, I'll make sure I have these peel pads that I'm obsessed with. They're the Goop Glow peel pads. And I do it at night actually while I'm laying in my sauna blanket and it's like my little ritual. And that's like the one time like my husband knows like not to really bother me at that moment. Yeah, I love that. No, I mean, having these little rituals are so key and I'm laughing because my husband, I mean, he loves saunas. I think just a whole detoxification process is just so key. And he wants to put, we live in like a condo building and a balcony. He's like, I'm going to put a sauna on the balcony. I was like, what? Like, we can't do that. But I've seen those blankets and I've always been curious, like, does it have the same effect? So you like it. I'm, I'm going to check it out now. I love it. It's amazing. I mean, it really like, I can't tell you scientifically if it has the same effect. I'm not sure. But like, I feel yeah. like you're like sweating as much as you are in a real sauna. Are you guys in LA? We're in LA. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, come yeah. over. You can, want, you can use it anytime. Yeah, no, I love that. No, people swear by it. That's so great to hear. And you know, one thing that I love so much about you too is your love for travel. And people always ask me this question. And I never know how to answer, but I'd love to get your thoughts. Like, what are your top three cities? And like, why do you love those cities if you go to? I know that's so hard. Maybe in the past like five years. I mean, what a fun game. I mean, this is cliche, but I will say like London and Paris are two of my favorites always. I really like old cities and especially living in LA where I think it's more of a luxury when you see like a really gorgeous old building. It's not the way it is when you're in Europe and you're just surrounded by it everywhere you go. And I love that like London that you have like those little winding streets that you kind of can get lost on. I mean, those are two. I also love a walking city. Yeah, I think there's nothing better than like when you're traveling, you just get up in the morning and you just like go. And you stumble on so many incredible things. And so those are two of my favorites. There's actually a hotel that's probably my favorite hotel ever. It's in Provence. So it's like if you do – my dream trip would be to do Paris and then do Provence right after. But it's called Villa Lacoste. And they have the most incredible art collection. Literally like nothing I've ever seen. And then they also have incredible wine and food. So it's like you kind of get the full enchilada. Oh, I love that. That's like music to my ears. There is nothing better than a walking city. And I, I used to live in New York and I love that aspect. But so being in LA, it, yeah. And it's like, so how do we like travel to get that out of our system? Because we definitely don't have that in LA, but we're spoiled here with like amazing weather, which I'll take any day too. So I love <laughs> totally. that. Have you traveled with your daughter? I mean, I know the world is in a different state right now, but how has your travels shifted with having her? No, we, we've traveled with her a lot, actually. I mean, I think it goes back to like what I was saying about my parents in that they are always like travel was just a part of our lives growing up and they weren't big on gifts, but they were like always big on like, let's go here. Let's go to South America. Let's go to, you know, wherever it was. And so I really wanted, it was important for me to do that with her when she was little and have that be a part of her life and have her have appreciation for different cultures and for different ways of living and and also like the different foods that you get to have. And, you know, like there's, it's just it's such a beautiful visceral experience when you go somewhere new. So her first trip was to New York back in November. And it was actually, you know, I used to live there too. I lived there for 14 years and wow. being there with a, 
Yeah, like being there with a kid was a completely different experience and it was really special. It was like really nice to have someone to share that with and to see the city again through these sort of different young eyes. Like everything was exciting to her. Oh, so cute. I mean, it's just, I always would think about like the kids growing up in the city, like you get exposed to so much, right? Like at such a young age. I mean, it's probably such an interesting place to grow up in. And, you know, I want to close on one last question. I love to get your thoughts on what are you most proud of that a lot of people may not know about you, Nora? Oh, God, that is a good question. I never get tripped up by questions. Look at you. (laughs) I mean, God, it sounds so cheesy, but I feel like I'm like honestly really proud of the fact that I feel like my values are actually very similar to my parents. And even though there are so many things that are different and so many, like they still have no idea what I do, right? On a daily basis. And if they knew that I was just like sitting here talking to you about vibrators, they would be like, But I think it's really beautiful. To, I've been so inspired by them and about the way that they really made giving back and philanthropy just a major part of their lives and not something that you sort of think about at Christmas time, but something that is really like an ongoing thing that you're always doing. I mean, I remember, I, not to go off on a tangent, but someone once said to me, if you're not giving back enough that it hurts, then you're not doing enough. And I thought that was really interesting. You have to give enough of your life that you're actually seeing a difference. And I thought that was really beautiful. So yeah, I think that would be the the most important thing is that I feel like the values that my parents set for me, I hope I'm, you know, living up to them and I hope I'm instilling them in, in my daughter as well. Yeah, no, I'm sure I love that. And I think, like you said, just the power of giving back. I mean, even if you're working at a job and you're trying to hit different milestones, or if you're at a business, you're trying to hit different milestones, like at a certain point, you just become numb to it and it's a moving target. But when you give back, it's like so much more fulfilling. And really why I started the podcast before I even had a business, I was like, I need to do more in this world to kind of give back and share stories. But I think that's such a good point that I wish I kind of knew earlier in my life, because I had no idea like that feeling you get of just making an impact in whatever capacity you can, is just so much more rewarding than like making a certain amount of money, or like hitting a certain metric, which is still important, but it's not all encompassing. And the most impactful, I think when you're at the end of your life, like to look back on everything that you're doing. So I love that. There's like, you know, you can always make more money, right? Like there's always bigger milestones and bigger things you can set for yourself. But actually someone told me the other day that there is like a chemical released when you do something nice for someone. And the opposite of it is like literally getting punched in the face. Like you're actually giving like yourself this incredible gift as well, right? Like it's, if you want to be totally selfish about it, you can't. Like it makes you feel incredible to participate in that kind of exchange. Totally. And I think it's like energetically, it's also just good helping people around you, like things come back to you in some capacity. It always is. For me, it's like a no brainer. So I love that we're ending the interview on that. But Nora, thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun. I'm so excited for our listeners to get to know more about you. We'll include all your details in the show notes, but it was true honor to have you with us today. It was so lovely to meet you. And I want to hear all about this business. So you need to side email me so I can get deep into it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. 
I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.